0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. We have a ton of volunteers. We have some uh, nurse immunizers that are here with us today. I have Albertsons and Safeway employees to help vaccinate um, the population here.
1: About a year ago, this was something a lot of Arizonans were hearing. The COVID-19 vaccine was more readily available, and people were able to attend events held by volunteers in order to get their first dose.
0: It great to have their presence. Uh, we have school volunteers, school officials. Uh, thank you so much for hosting uh, this event so we can get uh, as many vaccines and as many arms as possible.
1: Now, this event that you're hearing is actually from November 2021. Phoenix Union High School District was hosting a vaccination event because the Center for Disease Control okayed children 5 to 11 to get their vaccine. But a lot has happened between the first dose given in Arizona in December 2020, to this event in November 2021, to even now. Today, anyone over the age of five who wants a vaccine to protect them against coronavirus is eligible to get one. And it's never been easier. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we cover Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm producer Amanda Luberto, and today I'll be walking you through the journey of vaccinating Arizonans against COVID-19. I was joined by reporters, doctors, and state health officials to track the vaccine from its first local dose to today. Let's start before vaccinations were even available. COVID-19 really started to impact Arizona and most of the United States, In March 2020, this is when companies started sending employees home to work, professional sports leagues paused seasons, and people became more cautious about the time they were spending out of the house. In March 2020, things felt so unknown. The virus wasn't like anything we had seen before on a global scale. Scientists and governments were acting and reacting to every new thing learned, and it felt like things were changing day by day. For a lot of people, this is when it felt like the world came to a halt. For Arizona Republic health reporter Stephanie Innes, this is when things ramped up.
0: It was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I think everyone, in a sense, has become a health reporter over the last two years. But at the beginning, I found myself... Giving sources and bringing some of the other reporters up to speed a lot and making lists of my contacts to share with others because I think healthcare has, it's never been a really, I wouldn't have considered it a hugely high profile beat uh, when you compare it with like politics or congressional coverage, but it certainly became 1A front and center in March of 2020, and and I didn't feel that I had experienced that before as a healthcare reporter.
1: Stephanie had started working for the Republic only a year and a half before the first cases started breaking out in Arizona. For perspective, weekly listeners will know that I've been with the Arizona Republic just a little over a year. I can't imagine my whole job changing seemingly overnight because of something we're all experiencing. The
0: editors here wanted to keep this issue front and center for our readers. So I found myself also writing a lot of stories, whereas sometimes in the past I would take like a whole week or even longer to write one story. This time I was writing up the numbers every day and often another story a day. There were days where I was filing one or two stories every single day, and I wasn't accustomed to that.
1: Cases rose and fell over the course of the first year of COVID 19, both here in Arizona and around the world. But numbers stayed consistently high, and to some, it didn't feel like there was a grasp on the virus. The end of June and most of July 2020 were some of the worst for the state. Cases dipped down again over the fall in September and October, but by the time we got to late November and into December, around the holidays, numbers were on the rise. According to the New York Times Coronavirus Tracker, on December sixteenth, 2020, the daily average cases in Arizona was 6,727. On the same day, though, Arizona was entering a new era of COVID, a vaccinated era.
0: So the very first vaccine, we actually had an event. It was December sixteenth, 2020. And that was the first healthcare workers and first responders were the first ones to get the vaccine. So there was actually an event uh, at the Arizona State Lab where they do a lot of um, laboratory processing and process some of the COVID tests. There was a lot of excitement. Um, you know, the the speed at which these vaccines were developed and got to market was incredible and you know there'd been a lot of research into mRNA technology. So it's not like the way that they did it was brand new, but the fact that they were able to get something to market that could actually prevent severe illness from COVID nineteen that had been filling up hospitals. I mean the the vibe was and certainly from
1: readers too, when can we get that vaccine too? For some, it felt like the vaccine had taken a very long time. According to the 12 News Daily COVID blog, there had been 7,530 coronavirus-related deaths reported in Arizona by December 16, 2020. But for others, it felt like the vaccine was made very quickly. Almost too quickly. From March to December, it seemed like scientists only had nine months to create a whole new vaccine.
2: I have to admit that I bristle a little bit when I hear that I got put together quickly because I've been in this field for you know over 20 years now, and I know how much work goes into to understand the basic biology of this family of viruses. Otherwise, we would never have known what to do.
1: That is Dr. Deepta Barachara. He is a professor of immunobiology at the University of Arizona Medical School.
2: Well, that's like 40 years of work. You know, when we've studied, um, you know, not only the first SARS-CoV, which is in the early 2000s, but, you know, the common coronaviruses that cause, for the most part, they don't cause people to get too sick. But, you know, a lot of people are doing some basic work to figure out, you know, how do these things work? How does our immune system protect us after we've been infected and recovered? So it's not fast, I guess is what I would say. It took 40 years. Now, it's because of that 40 years of work that we were able to go from understanding the sequence, the genetic sequence of this virus, to then um, plugging into some existing vaccine platforms to getting something that was FDA approved uh, in December of 2020.
1: Basically, because COVID 19 was a strain of a pre existing virus, scientists were able to modify a vaccine that already existed. This allowed them to get a head start on creating a medicine. But really, what is a vaccine? How are they made and how do they work? Dr. Bhattacharya explained it to me like this.
2: A vaccine is just a way to give your immune system a head start um, so that if you do get exposed or infected by some pathogen like a virus or a bacteria, um, that it doesn't cause as much damage. And, you know, if you're lucky, you never get infected in the first place. So what vaccines, what all of them do, and they work in slightly different ways, is they show you a little bit of the virus. Um, to train your immune system so that it gets going ahead of time um, and gets things started ahead of time in case you get infected.
1: It's essentially a way to protect yourself against illness. But is it true that a vaccine gives you a little bit of the illness in order to protect you against it? Like the flu shot gives you a little bit of the flu or the COVID vaccine gives you a little bit of COVID?
2: It does not give you COVID. Um, but it is true that it uses and shows you just a little part of the virus. So. The the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 is what's called an RNA virus. Um, And it it uses that RNA to make a couple of dozen different types of proteins once it infects your cells. And it needs all of those proteins to make more copies of itself so that it can then go around and infect other cells. The vaccines just uh, um, make one of those proteins. It's called the spike protein, and it's it's both the most important part, but also the Achilles heel of the virus. And it trains your immune system to see it and get going in case that you're ever exposed to the coronavirus. So the spike protein, if you mount an immune response against it, is enough to protect you. But if your cells make it, it's not enough to actually make the virus itself.
1: The vaccine shows your immune system a little bit of the proteins so that your cells know what to look for but not enough to actually make the virus. Dr. Joshua LeBaire, the executive director at Arizona State University's Bioscience Institute, helped me understand it this way. Imagine if there's a criminal operating
3: in a community and that criminal is causing all kinds of trouble. When the criminal starts working, at first the police don't know who it is and they don't know what the criminal looks like and they have to do a lot of detective work to figure out who the criminal is before they can catch the criminal and stop them from doing any damage in the community. Now, imagine if in some way you could tell the police in advance, be on the lookout for this criminal. This is what the criminal looks like. And this is what the criminal does. If you did that, then the minute the criminal got into town, the police would already be looking for the criminal and they would save a lot of time catching the criminal. Well, that's what vaccines do. They tell the body, this is what
1: the virus looks like. That's a pretty good way to think about it. By getting vaccinated, you're basically becoming a personal neighborhood watch, trying to keep your body safe. I asked Dr. LeBaire to continue this metaphor and explain why people can still test positive for COVID even after getting the vaccine. Essentially, how can the criminals still hide if we've told the police what it looks like? The mugshot that our body
3: is looking for looks a particular way now imagine if the virus decided to grow a beard or wear funny glasses or change its hat and so now some of the mutations of the virus make it look a little bit differently now most of the time our immune system can still see through the disguise but occasionally uh, it gets by and it can infect us i think it's important to make a distinction here though while the the newer strains of the virus that that sort of have changed their appearance Um, can infect us, they do not seem to be able to make us terribly sick or for the most part they don't seem to do that. So even though um, the original vaccine may not be sufficient at preventing infection, it does seem to be still quite good at preventing hospitalization, uh, entrance into the ICU and even death.
1: So the first vaccine in Arizona was given out in December 2020. When it was first released, only healthcare officials and first responders were eligible. It was prioritized this way because vaccines were in limited supply. But this was across the board, Stephanie Innis says.
0: That was not an Arizona issue at all. Uh, we actually, the state here, fought to get more vaccines. But it was an issue in every single state. It was a, it was just a a matter of we've got this vaccine and it has to be manufactured and out to the public in, in a safe way. We need to do all the testing on it to make the, make sure that these batches are safe and, and are ready to go out to the public. So, you know, you have to speed up production. And that's huge when you have a country of 300 million peoples.
1: Despite Arizonans beginning their vaccination process in December, January 2021 was the deadliest month for the state for COVID cases. According to state data and Stephanie's reporting, 4,344 Arizonans died from coronavirus that month alone. This was the most deaths in one month Arizona would see throughout the entire pandemic. It's hard to say why exactly, but Stephanie and many others suggest it was related to the holidays. People were gathering and flying and not necessarily following the recommended social distancing rules around this time. Parallel to that happening, the Arizona Department of Health Services was also opening up more locations to get vaccinated and allowing more people to be eligible. The next group included teachers, law enforcement officers, and Arizonans over the age of 75, as well as first responders and healthcare workers. It simply came down to who had the greatest chance of being exposed or who would have a harder time fighting off the virus if they did. In the beginning, five community health partners teamed up with AZDHS as vaccination sites. Dignity Health, Honor Health, Banner Health, banner Webb, and Abrazo West.
0: By January 11th, we stood up the first 24-7 vaccination site at State Farm Stadium with the Arizona Cardinals and about a dozen community partners coming together to stand up the first 24-7 mass vaccination site.
1: Rachel Garcia works for the Arizona Department of Health Services. She was formerly the Deputy of Public Health Emergency Preparedness and now works as the Bureau Chief for the Emergency Medical Services and Trauma Systems at AZDHS. She has worked very closely over the last year with the vaccine rollout program in Arizona. So I'm sure many of you actually remember this time. The Arizona Cardinal Stadium turned into a big drive-through vaccination site. You could go online and try to get an appointment 24 hours a day. You sit in your car until it was your turn up at the tent. It was sort of like the line to get into Dutch Bros Coffee that is often spilling into the street, but on a much grander scale and for something much more useful than a cup of coffee. While this process was easy for some, it quickly turned into a scramble. The online portal was hard to understand and the vaccine appointments would be snatched in seconds.
0: I don't know if you can remember back to that period. I, it was it was mayhem basically is the best way to describe it because the signups were done online and a lot of people who were 75 and older didn't have to use computers for work when they were in the workforce and and not only that the the state site was just overwhelmed and it was you'd get this sort of spinning wheel all the time we actually had several reporters here at the Republic assigned to helping readers who called I know I made appointments for some of the readers who called, and we had another reporter, Brianna Frank, who did, for days, made appointments for readers who were calling and having trouble. Uh, We certainly had our own problems trying to get through to the site, but we have uh, fast internet connections, sometimes faster than people at home and who, in their own homes, um, who didn't have such fast connections or who maybe weren't as savvy on the
1: computer. And this was no fault of AZDHS.
0: And, you know, the the first month of the rollout was, basically, there's not enough vaccine for the demand. So there were just people doing anything they could to get a vaccine.
1: Soon after, the state opened another 24-7 drive-through vaccine site at Phoenix Municipal Stadium, where ASU baseball plays. This was to help more people get vaccinated and to also allow easier access for the people in the East Valley. It was still hard for people outside of the metro Phoenix area to get an appointment, though. Some residents in more rural areas drove hours into Phoenix, and it quickly caused an urban-rural divide when it came to vaccine options.
0: They were desperate in some cases and really um, just doing whatever they could to get the vaccine. So there was also a rural-urban divide where, you know, we had these big sites operating in Phoenix. Um, But it was also an access thing, you know. Um, Not everybody could get vaccine appointments in their own counties. So we had reporters going out to the sites here and also looked at the data, and there were people driving from Yuma, from Cochise County, several hours just to come to Phoenix to get vaccinated.
1: Even some people in the Valley, like me, had such a difficult time getting a vaccine appointment that they turned to the state's volunteering program. But even that quickly turned into a mess. The volunteer website was often crashing due to an influx of people. I do want to make it clear that a lot of these websites were doing the best that they could at the beginning. The demand simply outweighed the supply for appointments, for volunteer spots, for vaccines. In early March 2021, one year into what felt like an uncontrollable virus, the vaccine became available to anyone over the age of 55. It was around this time that counties could decide on which essential workers they allowed as well. By mid-March, the state as a whole switched to a solely age-based model. And by April, the supply had caught up to the demand and Arizona was able to open the vaccine availability widely. April included ages 16 and older. May opened up to 15 to 12-year-olds. We're going to take a short break.
0: Hello, producer Kaylee Monahan here. We're just taking a short break to let you know about our free mobile app. Whether it's stories like this one politics, or breaking news, keep up to date with the AZ Central app, available in the App Store and Google Play.
1: By June 2021, AZ DHS announced it was closing seven state-run vaccination sites. By this time, less than 50% of Arizonans had received one dosage of the COVID-19 vaccine. According to the CDC, only 51% of U.S. citizens had received one dose, and this didn't mean that you couldn't get a vaccine if you wanted one. It had just moved.
0: Really, the vaccines moved into more localized uh, distribution, mobile clinics, doctors' offices, you know, federally qualified healthcare centers, those kinds of things. So, no longer any of these these big mass vaccination sites that we had at the beginning. So it's, it was very different. By the summer of, of 2021, the places where you got your vaccine had really
1: changed. This is also where people could find their boosters if they chose to get one. As it stands right now, in April of 2022, 61% of Arizonans are fully vaccinated. This is just behind the national rate of 65.8%. Now, let me explain these numbers a little bit more. Fully vaccinated means two doses of either the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine, or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. This is according to the CDC. This does not include boosters. That number for Arizona is more like 41%. When you look at the Arizona Department of Health Services website, it will tell you that 70.3% of Arizonans are vaccinated. This is the percent of people who've had one dose of Pfizer or one dose of Moderna. By the CDC regulations, this does not mean that 70.3% of Arizonans are fully vaccinated. One more set of numbers to throw at you. The AZDHS website also says that 75% of eligible people are vaccinated. These percentages are done by population. And right now, only people over the age of five are classified as eligible. This is why these numbers will be different. So why, after a huge rush of people who wanted to get vaccinated in the beginning, are 100% of people vaccinated or something close to that? Some people don't trust the vaccine, and they don't want it. There are people with historical distrust of vaccines after cases like the Tuskegee experiment. This was an ethically unjustified study of syphilis within Black men between the 1930s and the 1970s, which resulted in the death of 100 men. But in general, doctors are encouraging their patients to trust the COVID-19 vaccine. It has been well-studied and has proven to alleviate symptoms. Here's Dr. Bhattacharya again.
2: I mean, I guess the proof's in the pudding, right? I've gotten them Um, and I'm an immunologist and this is what I've been studying forever. I think it's important to talk about how they're tested. Um, And I think the most important part in terms of trustworthiness is how the phase three trials were done. So there's, when the FDA approves something, there's three stages to the clinical trials. There's the phase one and and that they just tested um, the vaccine out on a pretty small number of people and they're just trying to figure out the dose. Um, the phase two expands it up a little bit, but it's still not a huge, you know, it's like a few dozen people or something like that, um, where they just make sure that the vaccine is inducing a decent immune response, and at least in that group of people, there aren't major side effects. The most important one is the phase three trial, where they test the vaccine out on tens of thousands of people, and what they do, it's what's it's called a double blind trial, so that you split um, your group into two halves, one that gets a placebo, meaning it's just to get an injection of saline, and then the other half that gets the actual vaccine. But um, you know the actual participants have no idea what they got, and the company has no idea who got the placebo and who got the vaccine. And so the reason it's designed that way is because there's no particular reason. You should trust uh, you, know, um, you know, biotech and pharmaceutical companies that have some skin in the game, right? So you have to separate that aspect out of the equation. And so then what you do is you simply wait to see how many people got infected and sick in the placebo arm versus the people who got the vaccine. And again, the only people who know who's who are people who um, have nothing to do with the pharmaceutical company, have nothing to do with, with really anything, um, and are just reading out the results. And so that's the mechanism that's been put in place to make sure that there's no funny business going on. Um and I think that makes some sense, right? There's no reason you should a priori, you know, believe data that the pharmaceutical companies say it needs to be coming from an independent party, and that's that's really what was done.
1: So now we're back to the beginning of this episode. In November 2021, children between eleven and five were able to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, if you're a loyal listener of Valley 101, you will know that this is not a science podcast, but that we do have a science podcast here at the Arizona Republic. It is called The Lab. For anyone not subscribed, go ahead and pause this and give them a follow. Melina Walling is a bioscience reporter at The Republic, and she works on The Lab podcast, among many other things. She visited Phoenix Union High School District when they were doing their vaccination event that you heard up at the top. While she was there, she got to talk with a little girl named Ainsley. My name is Ainsley Lye. Ainsley, how old are you, Ainsley? I'm seven. You're seven? And what are you here to do today? I'm here to get a vaccine. I think I will. Ainsley was a little shy to talk with Melina when they met in the gymnasium, but her mother was there to help her answer questions and remind her of what she was most excited to do after being vaccinated. Have you ever done this, anything like this before? No, not really, but I have had a shot before. You have had a shot. So how do you feel about your shot today?
2: I'm a little nervous.
1: You're
0: a little nervous. Um, yeah. What's the first thing you're going to do when you're fully vaccinated? Um,
1: um, probably stop wearing a mask as often. Yeah, and maybe we'll get to go see um, our great-grandma, her great-grandma. For Ainsley's mother, Jessica, it means being able to do more things with her family after almost two years of trying to keep a small social circle. I
0: think- Feeling like things are going to open back up a little bit more for us in our lives is really hunkered down and like kept a small tight bubble of friends. Um, and I feel like we're going to start be able to do more things and get out a little bit more and just live life with a little bit less concern or anxiety around um, spreading it. But also I think we're both and she she knows about the vaccine and we, that we've been waiting for her to get it. Um, but we have a big like responsibility to just get vaccinated when we could um, just for our community.
1: So that we can kind of Chad Gaston, the superintendent of the Phoenix Union High School District, spoke with the Arizona Republic about why the Carl Hayden High School gym High school was the place 14, to be 15, that day.
2: 9, and it's been a challenge uh, to get vaccinations to large groups of people. So we've been opening up the Carl Hayden High School gymnasium, actually for several months, uh, started with educators, then community, then 12 through 18, and today we're here 5 through 11. And our goal is to try to get kids back in school, but keep kids back in school. Uh, And today, finally, we say that elementary schools are going to be much safer on Monday.
1: It is not mandatory to vaccinate your children against COVID-19 in order to attend school in Arizona. But some parents felt relieved to have the opportunity. Some parents, like Alyssa Trujillo that Melina spoke with.
0: Um, I think the best thing overall is just, you know, if it works for you and your your lifestyle. But we have a busy lifestyle. You know, our kids are in sports and activities and like... I want them just to be, you know, safe doing that stuff. So I think this is the best thing to do so we can kind of get to that that normalization because we were home for a long time. Kids are out of sports. And it just kind of got a little
2: depressing.
1: Currently in Arizona, you can get a vaccination against coronavirus almost anywhere. CVS, Costco, Fry's, Walgreens, and many more places. Some are still asking for an appointment ahead of time, but from my experience, it was pretty easy to do. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. I wanted to give a special thank you to The Lab podcast. They're doing excellent bioscience reporting and storytelling on their platform, and they were kind enough to share their work with me. If you want to know more about that, follow The Lab wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Melina Walling and Stephanie Innes' work at azcentral.com. If you have any questions about Metro Phoenix, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support it by subscribing to azcentral.com. You can follow all AZ Central podcasts like Valley 101, the Gaggle, and our newest bioscience show, The Lab, on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. I'm producer Amanda Luberto. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll see you next week.